Welcome to this Messianic Jewish Life. My name is Dorothy Gittleman, and in this podcast, I'll share my Messianic Jewish life experiences as we explore the diversities of practice across the Messianic Jewish world. This week, our guest is Rabbi Nathan Joyner, Senior Rabbi at Ruach Yisrael in the Boston area. Rabbi Nathan holds a B.A. in classical trumpet performance from the New England Conservatory of Music in Boston, Mass. He completed his rabbinical studies and earned a Master in Jewish Studies at the Messianic Jewish Theological Institute. He was ordained by the Union of Messianic Jewish Congregations and the Messianic Jewish Rabbinical Council in 2012. Rabbi Nathan is co-founder and director of Camp Orlador, a Messianic Jewish summer youth camp. He also serves as a member of the Messianic Jewish Rabbinical Council and as a rabbinical advisor for UMJC 20s, the 20s rabbi. He speaks widely about Messianic Judaism in congregations, at conferences, and other venues around the U.S. Rabbi Nathan and his wife, Raina, have six lively young children. Let's meet Rabbi Nathan Joyner. Well, Rabbi Nathan Joyner, welcome to this Messianic life. Thank you, Dorothy, for having me on. It is a uh, it's a privilege to be here with you today. Well, thank you so much. Can you tell me and my audience a little bit about yourself and your path to Messianic Judaism, or a lot about yourself? <laughs> okay. Well, I think I have to share a little bit of my story from the from the beginning uh, in order to get to where we are today. Well, or maybe just a brief overview of your name and where you are. Oh, just oh like, a beginning before we get into the story. Before we get into okay. the story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, I'm Rabbi Nathan Joyner, and I am the uh, new senior rabbi at Congregation Ruch Israel in Needham, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. Um, I, uh, prior to becoming the senior rabbi here in January of this year, I was the associate rabbi, and prior to that was the rabbinical intern. <laughs> so I've kind of just been... Uh, been here at our Rook Israel family uh, for some time. And, and uh, in addition to uh, my work at the congregation, I also run uh, and was a co-founder of Camp Orlador, which is a Messianic Jewish uh, youth sleepaway camp where we run a, you know, a 10 to 12 day long overnight um, adventure, uh, Messianic Jewish adventure with shakarit services and um, lots of curriculum. And we do a, a two or three uh, night backpacking or canoe adventure in the middle of camp, and it's a, a really wonderful experience. That's really exciting. So now why don't you, you go ahead and dig in and tell us how you got to, to the point where Ruach became your home. Yeah, so it's uh, the story. We have to go back to the beginning a bit. I was raised in a uh, secular environment, um, and I was actually an atheist until my 20s. Um, okay. I was a uh, trumpet was my thing, and I loved to, um, you know, get up at three, four in the morning during high school and practice trumpet in the basement, and uh, so that was my, you know, that was my go-to was was music, and I went to the New England Conservatory of Music in Boston, wow. um, in for classical trumpet performance, and uh, really felt like I wanted to pursue orchestral uh, music. That was uh, that was the goal. Uh, in my uh, second or third year of conservatory training, I went through a very challenging time. Uh, it was a crisis in my life. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I was, you know, in a, uh, a, a long-term relationship that ended and I was having trouble with, um, you know, certain technical parts of playing the trumpet that weren't going as well as I had wanted them to be and wasn't making some auditions and things like that. And I, um, you know, it, it kind of set me in a tailwind and I just went, um, you know, bottom down. I started uh, not doing well in school and it started a journey for me. It kind of shook things up. Okay. And uh, my first move was to go into yoga. I ended up um, becoming a, a yoga instructor and, uh, you know, growing in the sort of Eastern spiritual world. Um, and at first it was just to learn how to relax more and maybe hit some higher notes on the trumpet, yeah, things yeah. like that. And then that turned into a, a, a path for searching to heal some of the wounds that I was feeling. And what I found with the yoga was that it was like, you know, they would continually offer to, you know, healing and peace. Um, but the healing was always in the journey and in the searching and something that you would never actually find, you know? And, okay. Uh, what I found was that, and the more that I would, exp the more that I would go down the, the, the yogic philosophical experience, um, you know, the, the more troubled I would become. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, in a sense, gave me license to sort of spiritualize, um, spiritualize sin, to spiritualize just the, uh, the, uh, the, the troubles that I was in. I um, ended up getting a motorcycle and driving around the country um you know we did this out i did this with my brother we we uh, drove around all the way from uh, boston area out to uh, vancouver down to san francisco all the way around and it was the beginning of a search you know i was just like trying to get out there and and see what was there and on this trip i met someone who was at a park in pennsylvania and they were barefoot with a backpack and a melon and I said, what and are you doing? A melon. I said, what are you doing? And they said, I've been hiking for three months on the Appalachian Trail. And I was like, that sounds great. So I decided at that moment, I was like, I'm going to hike the Appalachian Trail, which is a footpath that goes through the Appalachian Mountains from Maine down to Georgia, uh, 2,100 miles or from Georgia to Maine, the other way. And uh, I decided that I was going to do this as a pilgrimage. It was a search for truth to try to find uh, at that point, I wasn't really looking for God per se. I was looking for meaning. I was looking for healing. I was hoping to meditate in the woods and find unity with the trees. Uh, so I got on my, uh, you know, got some backpacking gear. I had never done any backpacking before. Decided to start up in northern Maine, up at Katahdin, um in Baxter State Park. And so I stuck my thumb out to start hitchhiking up the 95 to get to Maine. And uh, along the way, a woman named Hollis picked me up. Um, and in the car, she said, you know, what are you doing? And I said, I'm on a pilgrimage for truth. And she said, well, you know, when I was your age back in the 70s, my husband and I went on a hitchhiking quest for truth and we met Jesus. And I said, well, you know, everything is one. And I gave her all this yogic philosophy and everything like that. And she just listened. And uh, it was late in the day. She actually uh, brought me back to her house and I spent the night with their family. And uh, later on in the evening, she came up to me and said, you know, you may have heard things about Jesus that 
aren't true. Just keep that in mind. And that's all she said. There wasn't oh, any wow. arguing or anything. That was it. And I just said, okay. You know, because for me, it was like, you know, totally out of the blue. In the yoga world, he is, um, you know, if anything, one of the many gurus or, you know, yeah. whatnot. Um, and so, you know, that was that. Uh, and anyway, the next day they drove me up and uh, got back on the, on the highway and I ended up, you know, beginning the trail. And to make a long story short, uh, there was another person I met on the trail named um, Emma, who she was a homeschooled Christian from Kentucky and 19 years old. And she had felt that uh, Jesus had called her to hike the Appalachian Trail. And we started arguing and discussing <laughs> theology and everything like crazy. And we hiked together for the first two weeks of the trail, just on and off, you know. Um, she was a unique person. I remember bumping into her once on the trail and she was sitting uh, on a rock and I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm praying. I said, what are you praying for? And she said, I'm praying for you to be miserable. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, oh, great. Well, I am miserable. You know, uh, the Appalachian Trail for me was a a lot harder than I had thought it would be. I had sort of glorified this experience and instead it was a ton of mosquitoes. Um, I got terrible blisters, my knees gave out. It was very, very challenging. And the outer world sort of paralleled my inner experience. Uh, and I remember a time sitting on top of a mountain um, in Maine and just looking out over everything and just I felt a new level of brokenness where it wasn't that I was broken because of a relationship or because of this or that. It was because I felt like I felt like I was missing God for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I could see that, you know, in the yogic world, they had kind of trained me to think that you, know, you kind of like you ignite the divine within, you know, and, yeah. and when you look on those mountains, it's just it's like I didn't make this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is like, this didn't, doesn't work. And uh, I think, I think the trail put me in touch with my own, um, my own mortality, you know, my own end, if you will. And from there, I was able to see that what I was really looking for was God. And I didn't know what that looked like. Uh, again, I was raised secular, my Jewish identity was distant. And um, I was opposed to anything organized or institutionalized at the time. So I kept walking and um, Emma had given me a little ESV translation of the uh, New Testament. And the first time I opened it and decided to start with Matthew. And I remember that in New Hampshire, I hiked for about a month and a few days from Maine down to New Hampshire. And I uh, got sick and spent three days sitting by a stream with my tent and I was able to start to read through Matthew for the first time and as I read you know maybe through the Sermon on the Mount I was just really impressed with Yeshua's teachings and um, there was something there that was just unique and different than anything I had experienced before and I began to feel like the storm inside of me just quieting during that time and then on August 8th, I started hiking again and uh, made my way into the White Mountains in New Hampshire, the Northern Whites, and um, stopped at a campsite named Imp Campsite near Gorham, New Hampshire that evening. It was August 8th. It was around 8 o'clock in the evening, and, and there was a clearing in the trees. I was by myself, 
and it was you know I'd seen a lot of sunsets and this was a this was a beautiful sunset with just the sun you know coming down like this red ball over the mountains and I don't know what it was it was like I I was just sitting there and something inside of me let go and I just whispered Yeshua's name and it was like I felt his this presence just come all over me uh, you know it was like he was inside of me uh, and yet outside too it wasn't just this inner experience you right. know it was like he was outside of me he was there it was a hug I just felt like I was I was whole um, it wasn't an emotional experience for me uh, you know it's like I've had those since then but this was more uh, just a quiet I'm here kind of thing and it changed my whole life uh, I went back to um, to the shelter that I was staying at and uh, you know wrote in my journal that it felt like I wasn't alone in the woods anymore and That's beautiful. yeah it just changed everything and it was like you know it started a journey of course of learning and growing in all kinds of areas but there was some core truths that I felt like he gave me just of who he was and you know and um, and a passion. Uh, and so the trail changed for me at that moment from a journey to finding God to a journey of walking with him. It was like my honeymoon time, you know, yeah. and uh, just a really, really incredible experience. It was like daily, uh, I would find people who had similar experiences to me, um, you know, little, little answered prayers that were like twinkles in God's eye, you know, saying, hey, I'm here for you. Um, you know, I, I one time got to a town and felt like I needed a place to stay indoors for the night, you know, because yeah. I and I, I saw this big brick church and said, you know, Father, a church, I, you know, give me a place to stay in your house. And then this beat up pickup truck pulled over. The guy rolled down the window and he said, hey, do you want to come over and stay at my house? <laughs> you know, so it was these little lessons along the way. Wow. Another, I'll just tell one other neat one because it's funny. Um, I was, uh, this was, this happened in 2005 when Katrina, Hurricane Katrina had happened down mm -hmm. south and it had come up north as a tropical storm. So it had rained for like five days yeah. straight. And when you're backpacking and you don't shower or anything, I mean, you get really wet and you get really stinky. And I remember <laughs> getting to a shelter. It was for eight people. And by the time the end of the night was, there was, you know, maybe 12 backpackers there hiking from Georgia who had been hiking for months and wow. they're hanging their wet socks up and it was stinky. I mean, you just can't imagine what that was like. And dinner that night was a pot of, you know, leftover oatmeal, some banana flavored protein powder and a little bit of ramen noodles that I just mixed together because I had been out for so long. And um, so all that to say the next day, it was this beautiful day coming down out of the mountains and I prayed for chocolate chip cookies, you know, <laughs> and I got to this corner and there was this elderly couple sitting there with two coolers filled with chocolate chip cookies <laughs> handing out to hikers, you know, so it was like, you know, it was one of those things. It was like, he's here with us, you know. Um, uh, the, the next big part of our story uh, is, I say our story, this is where my wife comes into play. We I had gotten down to Massachusetts and um, this was in, in mid-September and I had been reading through the New Testament like crazy and I was uh, just astonished. It was about Jewish people. I mean, <laughs> it was like I had no idea. And, uh, you know, um, and I had been meeting all these Christians along the way and I was like, you know, Lord, I need to meet someone Jewish, 
you know okay. I need to connect and see what this is what, what this is about and at the same time I was praying to meet the one you know I, mm -hmm. I felt like I was ready you know <laughs> so um, so that morning I prayed those two prayers to meet someone who's Jewish and to meet the one and um, that day I was hitchhiking and um, along the way this uh, green Subaru Outback with a bumper sticker that read may the forest be with you pulled over and out bumped a beautiful bouncy Jewish girl named Reina who I'm married to right now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course you, you guys know yeah and you know we got in the car and just started talking and um, you know she she uh, uh, Reina was raised in in uh, Tennessee um, about misfit in the conservative synagogue down there and um, she was working at a Jewish retreat center in Connecticut uh, and so she brought me back there to have a place to stay and you know those kinds of things and um, it's kind of a funny thing there were a, a group of Israeli uh, women there who were questioning me as if I were the hitchhiker you know <laughs> from a serial killer or something like that and they made this comment they said wouldn't it be funny if you guys got married <laughs> so anyway uh, Reina became my trail angel, if you will, quote unquote. She, uh, I would get to a town and call her on the payphone. I didn't have a cell phone in those days. Um, we still, we had flip phones; they existed, yes. but, the, but the reception wasn't very good, and I decided to go without. So, um, payphones were still a thing in, in that time. So I, you know, would call her, and she would do short hikes with me along the way. She, you know, did the Shenandoah Valley with me, and. Okay. We started to grow in, you know, just in our, our relationship with each other. Uh, I finished the Appalachian Trail in January of 2006. Okay. And I'm, I'll just summarize a few things here now because I've been going into some detail. That's okay. This has been really fun. I'm enjoying the stories. You're a good storyteller. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. So she, she, um, she picked me up at the end of the trail. It was snowing. And... Um, uh, you know, let me tell you one more funny story. In Tennessee, she rescued me from snowdrifts, four-foot <laughs> snowdrifts in the Smoky Mountains, and brought me back to her visit her parents. And uh, her parents are terrific from New York, you know, New York Jews. And we were actually just joking about this a few weeks ago when we were with them. When I came into the house, her mother looked at her and out in an out loud way said, Raina, he smells. <laughs> <laughs> so... And she tried to wash my clothes several times and it, it, the stink just didn't come out. So that was the reputation that I had, you know, yeah, in the yeah, beginning. Yeah. <laughs> but they're terrific. So anyways, we, um, you know, after the trail, we came back up to Boston and we, we decided, you know, this was the maybe the end of our, you know, just journeying and, and exploring. So we decided to take one last little um, travel trip at, to Central America. And we just said, okay, we're going to, you know, I think we worked up for a few months and to, to buy a plane ticket to Guatemala and decided to just visit with as many local people as we possibly could in Guatemala. And we went from Guatemala through to uh, El Salvador and then across to Nicaragua. And we spent the whole summer uh, visiting with people that we met along the way. It was a, a really terrific trip. Uh, along the way, I proposed to Reina and she said yes. And another time we'll tell that story. Um, but the thing was, was that, you know, she had, I, I skipped this part, golly, she had just come to faith in Yeshua as well, okay. right before we went down there. Um, 
And so she, you know, she has her own story that she could tell another time, but she had just come to faith as well. And I proposed to her and, um, you know, her, her family uh, asked a great question. They said, you know, okay, uh, are you going to have a Jewish wedding? And uh, she said, yes. And I said, I guess so. <laughs> you know, <'Cause, laughs> um, you know um, again, my Jewish past was, was distant. We weren't raised going to synagogue or anything. It was just a part of our know part of our uh uh you know our, our soup if you will of, yeah. <laughs> of the background you know an american melting pot um and so you know we we were like of course you know the the new testament is all about jewish people yeshua is yeah. jewish why wouldn't we have a jewish wedding it just didn't make any sense so so we assumed that was the case and uh, we met these pastors who were doing missions work with YWAM in Guatemala, and we wanted to share our news with someone who spoke English because we did not speak their language <laughs> much at all, the local languages there. Yeah. And, um, you know, they took us out for lunch and they said, listen, there are people like you out there. We know them in California. They're called Messianic Jews. Mm. And, um, you know, Raina's experience growing up in Tennessee was that we're Jewish and we have to really fight for our Jewish yeah. identity. She was the one who brought the Hanukkah song to the Christmas pageant right. in school. And so the idea of Messianic Judaism, uh, you know, was like, okay, I'm not so sure about that, <laughs> but let's check it out. And I thought it was great. So, you know, we uh, came back to Boston and, um, you know, it was time for Rosh Hashanah services. And Raina's like, I always go to Rosh Hashanah services. Where are we going to go? And so I said, let's let's look for a Messianic Jewish place. And so we uh, found Ruach Israel yep. in Needham here. And we came in, this is 2006, second day Rosh Hashanah services. Okay. Uh, and we we walked in, uh, had a ponytail. I probably even carried my backpack, you know. <laughs> we were, you know and um, we never left. Yeah. And so, you know, it was, it was a journey. Um, Reina felt home at once. Uh, for me, having, uh, you know, a distant background in terms of synagogue life, it was Growing from me and Yeshua out in the woods, you know, to to a, a Messianic Jewish congregation with liturgical life and you know everything else and an institution. <laughs> yeah, in an institution was challenging, and I and I remember you know not understanding anything at mm. first, um, and that's you know it's something the Lord has given me to be able to relate to folks who you know aren't able to enter into the you know the Jewish service at the mm. beginning, because I was able to just you know not understand it at all <laughs> and i remember one service i was there and i just felt the lord say you need to be here and it started a process not only of well listen reina grew up jewish so clearly she should stay and 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 live as a jew to you know this is something that in my family is gonna would be lost in my family yeah. um and i started to feel yeshua's hand uh, in a gentle way bringing me back to my own jewish identity <laughs> Uh, and so we, you know, spent the first year in a very quick, quick, we were growing like crazy. Um, Rain and I were both immersed together. Rabbi Rich immersed us here in, in uh, Walden Pond. And, uh, you know, I made a kind of a recommitment to Jewish life. And then uh, Rabbi Rich and Sue and a couple others from up here flew down to Knoxville, Tennessee. And we got married down, uh, down there. That's great. Uh, with Raina's family. So. Uh, you know, the, I would say the rest is history. I mean, now we have um, 
We are expecting our seventh baby this coming oh, January. <laughs> I guess, yeah, new news. So, um, and, you know, within a year after we were married, I had, I had felt the, the Lord saying to me, you know, that just to move into leadership of some kind, um, and I didn't know what that looked like. And um, uh, I had a conversation with Rabbi Rich at one point, and, you know, he said, well, why don't we just start with, uh, with an internship? And I did the UMJC internship. At that time, it was the halftime internship. And started raising support from outside right. uh, to make this happen. And uh, started MJTI, the Messianic Theological yeah. Institute. That's where I did my graduate in rabbinical studies. And, you know, we both felt led to do this full time. And, you know, it was a crazy thing because there was no way we could do it, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> And, uh, but, you know, Raina felt led to be home with the, with the babies we were raising. And, um, and, you know, we just, I tell you, we just prayed <laughs> and started raising support and, and it all came together. You know, he was so faithful with us. So that's kind of how things started. Um, you know, I, I took about six years to go through the rabbinical program at MJTI, so nice and slow. And during that time, we started Camp Roll the Door, and uh, we ran the youth in the congregation, played music, and um, and did all of those things. And then I was ordained in uh, 2012. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're just really appreciative of the support that Raina and I experienced very early on. Um you know, we were just brought right into to the messengers movement as a whole. I think I remember meeting you two before you got married. Yes, yes, that is right. I remember that. It was at a um, it, at a at a regional conference, New England Messianic Jewish uh, conference, yep. when that organization was still an organization. Yeah, the NAMJC. Yeah, <clears throat> NAMJC. That's right. It was our first conference, actually, yeah. and and you guys all made a huge difference. Um, you know, it was just, it was meeting you all and uh, just engaging in the, the theological conversations that were happening and just the, we were just, wow, there's actually a Messianic Jewish movement that's, that's beyond, you know, that's bigger here. Yeah. Uh, and that made a big difference. I remember when we came back from that conference, Rain and I both said, this is something we really want to build in. Yeah. And this is something that we feel like the Lord is calling us to. And so here we are. So wow. thank you. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. Yes. <laughs> So can you talk a little bit about, or continue to talk, because I think you've done a good job of talking about it, but how does your faith as a Messianic Jew, both believing in Yeshua and being a Jew, show up in your daily life nowadays? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, for, for us, early on, we were convinced that Yeshua faith and Judaism are not separate categories. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. that undergirds um all of what we do uh, to be honest that you know we don't uh, we don't have in our family life right now like you know the christian side and the jewish side we see yeshua as the fullness and the heart of everything that is jewish mm -hmm. you know and and everything that is jewish is is ultimately you know uh, part of part of you know Part of him, he is the greatest Jewish hope. He is the the greater Jewish hope. Yeah. So what what does that look like in practice? It just looks like you know he's there for everything. So when we do Havdalah, he's a part of it. You know, after Shabbat, um, 
you know, our, our morning prayer time, our davening, our, you know, everything, everything revolves around Yeshua. And our goals are that that is seamless um, mm-hmm. in, in an in- inseparable way. Uh, so it's really neat for our children. They, you know, now they're aware of the distinctions between Messianic Jews and Jews who yeah. do not believe in Yeshua. And we, you know, have those conversations, of course. But there were some priceless moments, and I'm sure some of you listening have had these experiences with your kids, where they're like, wait a minute, there are Jews who don't believe in Yeshua? <laughs> yeah. How can they be Jewish? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it doesn't make any sense. And, you know, it's this wonderful, wonderful time of like, wow, you know, like they're really, they're really seeing that these things, these categories that the world has separated, you know, for yeah. 1600 years or so, are, are uh, go together in such a seamless way. So our, our Jewish life, you know, the joy of our Jewish life, if you will, is really centered around Shabbat. Um, just, you know, the, the most uh, joyful moments we have as a family are around the Shabbat table on Friday night. We do it every week, no matter what. Um, we're always there. And we have all the kids with different roles that they get involved in um, and really make a big deal of Friday night Shabbat dinner. We love to have guests. Um, and then, you know, uh, being here at synagogue is just a huge part of our lives. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, so we're always here, you know, and then we make Shabbat afternoon and Havdalah, you know, it's just, this is the non-negotiable in our life. Mm-hmm. Um, we also do a lot of uh, work with the kids for prayer time. Rain and I realized early on that, uh, you know, if, if we want to have our own prayer time in the morning, we need everyone to have prayer time in the morning. <laughs> not only to model it, but to make it possible. So, <laughs> yes. um, so we have a thing where the kids, you know, we wake up now all together and do a time of a kind of a combination of like, uh, you know, Bible reading, the kids are doing their own individual Bible reading. Plus, uh, we really like to spend time in prayer listening and, uh, you know, with our journal and um, that sort of thing. And then some of the older kids are, you know, experimenting, exploring with the Siddur for Shakarit mm-hmm. services. So we love to, you know, pray the Amidah together and things like that. Um, we don't do everything every single morning all the same way. We kind of rotate through different mm-hmm. <laughs> different things, but that's what we do. Then we gather as a family for breakfast and we share about what we did during our morning prayer time with each okay. other. And that's been a great way, not only to have some accountability, but also like we're all at different places in our Bible. So we get to share lots of different stories. Um, And then we do a sort of a Musar study that's around character development, uh, either in Proverbs or something like that um, during that time. And to clarify, you homeschool your children, you and your wife, right? We do homeschool, yes. I don't know how we could do it otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, that would be really hard getting kids to school early in the morning. um, I know, yeah. (laughs) But yeah. but so this is built into what you're doing as teachers at home. Yeah, thank you for clarifying that. We it's sort of like part of our homeschool experience. Sure. Yeah. Um, it would be very difficult to do this if we had to get up and leave at seven in the yeah. morning. So I I understand that and yeah. don't and also don't um, you know don't put this on other families other dynamics. It's just what we found to really work. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it was just a clarification of and so you had a slow morning and then you had a family breakfast and wait when are you running around? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> So, yeah, so we, we do everything early and then, you know, that cl- concludes with this family meal that's like a staple for our family. Um, so, and then and we find that in the evenings after dinner, we do a, a, a another Torah study that's just focused on reading the Torah. 
Um, and we found that if we do it late, it doesn't work. We have to do it right after dinner. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we do that and that's great. We have the kids, each kid, each one reads two verses and then goes around and we discuss it and then, you know, um, have a time of, a time of prayer afterwards. And that's been a real blessing and sense of stability for the kids. And I'm trying to do some math. You're not quite at a minion yet. <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> Yeah, we'll be at nine of us, but yeah, so. By the time your youngest is uh, B'nai Mitzvah, your oldest will have bring be bringing people home with them. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're moving into Bar Mitzvah. Our oldest is 12. So oh my goodness. this year will be a, a Bar Mitzvah training year. Okay, excellent. So. Well, you want to tell us a little bit about camp? And it sounds like camp probably is directly tied into your story of your origin stories, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is. Uh, you know, Camp Rolador began in the Rook Israel lobby with Sid Cohen and I. Uh, Sid would help with the youth. We were leading the youth. We had already taken the kids on a backpacking trip. Um, we did Mount Greylock, I think, out in Washington once. And we were just like, you know what? We need a Jewish camp. Raina grew up going to Jewish camp every summer. That was her thing. And she was a counselor and everything. Right. So she was like very experienced in this. And Sid and I were just saying, we need a Jewish camp, you know, and this was before, now there are a few other camps too, but yeah, this yeah. was before even those were around. And so, you know, for us, we decided that, and this literally all happened in a 20 minute uh, lobby conversation. <laughs> we need a camp where Yeshua and Jewish life are inseparable. Mm -hmm. We need a camp that's uh, where outdoor adventure is a major part of it because, you know, from my experience hiking and finding you know, God in the wilderness yeah. that kids need to get step away from the video games and, you know, have an opportunity to really uh, focus on God and focus on each other um, and relationships. And so that's, you know, the outdoor adventure component to camp was was uh, built in right there. And then we wanted a camp that was integrated with the wider Jewish community as best mm -hmm. we could. Uh, so we actually found, well, our first year in 2009, we were hosted by a Christian camp in New Hampshire. We had just nine teens, a few leaders um, mm -hmm. from the two Connecticut congregations, and uh, it was terrific. We backpacked Mount Washington, and, you know, it was like a really great short few-day experience. Well, the next year, uh, we found a home at uh, Camp Surprise Lake, which is a Jewish camp in New York. Uh, in denominational Jewish camp and that began a great relationship where at the beginning it was like how can you possibly be Jewish and believe in Jesus you know they couldn't yeah. understand to seeing uh, us do shakari services with drums and everything and I mean you know our camp was more observant than anyone at, at there you know oh. um, I mean individuals there were, weren't so but their their structure yeah. was uh, was not that way so you know, it was really an interesting dynamic that, you know, the Messianic Jewish camp was the, you know, kind of the observant Jewish camp. And we had some some beautiful moments. We were there for five summers. Um, and, you know, one moment that really sticks out to me was uh, they invited us to lead Havdalah for their entire camp. And so our Messianic Jewish camp is right in the middle. And you know, they have some 300 kids outside around like in a circle like this. Whoa. And we got to join, like uh, myself and their rabbi, we joined Havdalah candles into one flame, symbolically of our unity together. Wow. Um, and so, you know, it was a really special moment, um, kind of identity shaping for our camp. Yeah. Uh, and 
that camp closed their rental facility down. Um, they started to uh, need more camping space, and so they just mm-hmm. shut the whole thing down for everyone. And so we moved from there and went to a series of different Jewish camps. Yeah, Pretty much yeah. every year, every other year, we were at different Jewish camps. Um, and uh, we were never turned away because we were Messianic Jewish, uh, and we had positive interactions and relationships yeah, with yeah. them, not to the same degree as this first camp. So, um, but it's built into our DNA, if you will, that we really want to be a part of the Jewish community. Mm-hmm. And um, so being at other Jewish camps is, is a real great way to do that. What kinds of challenges do you see in Messianic Judaism right now in looking towards the future? That's a great question. Um, hmm. Well, I think the, the, the most uh, glaring challenge is you know just the lack of um new leaders you know in our communities i think that it's been on the radar for some time i remember david rudolph did a study um might have been 10 years ago uh uh that you know listen we're 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 headed for a problem because we're not raising up enough young uh rabbis to lead congregations um you know so that was a a, that was one of the reasons why you know i I jumped into being a rabbi was like, listen, this is a need that we have. It was a calling that I felt, um, you know, I remember uh, kind of pioneering it. Uh, MJGI had just began, just begun their rabbinical program uh, with, you know, my first year and I applied to this program. And then I remember uh, having a conversation with Rabbi Mark Kinzer, who was at that time running the program. And I said, you know, tell me about the rabbinical program that I just was accepted to. He said, the thing is, there really isn't a rabbinical program. <laughs> I said, what did I just apply to? You know, and what he meant was that, you know, we were the first people to try this. We wow. were the first people to go through it, myself and a few others. And I thought that was terrific. You know, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to pioneer this and we're going to do it. And, and now the program is you know, really great. It's, yeah. you know, brought a number of uh, new leaders through ordination. Uh, I had a, a, a tremendous experience at MJTI. Um, I think that as new leaders and this, the next generations come up, there's sort of an expectation that things are laid out in a certain way and that there's a structure and that there's finances and that there's all these different things. And that's just not the way it was for us. Um, and I don't think that's the way it was for, you know, the leaders, the boomer leaders, if you will, yeah. you know, they just went out and built it, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I think, and I think that's what we need because I think we're still a pioneer movement. I, I don't think we're at the point where we're, you know, able to, um, you know, able to sort of have all these institutions yeah. and everything like that. So, you know, I, I would, I think what we really need is people who feel called, who are, who are, who are qualified and able, you know, uh, it's the right thing for them to step up and say, you know what, I'm just going to do this, (laughs) even if it isn't perfect. And even if, you know, uh, all the pieces aren't put together yet. And uh, so it's something I'm looking forward to. At at the same time, the Messianic Jewish movement is the Lord's work and it's not our work. And so, you know, I, it's in his hands. And uh, so while we work towards this and see this as a, as a almost a demographic crisis we also yeah. see that you know he's doing something here and um and he'll raise up the people and he'll continue he'll continue his work is there anything that you'd like to add that i haven't asked yet um do, 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 do. you know i don't know if you want to put this in or not you can think about it but the the only other thing that i think is a challenge for our movement 
in the future is the just the growing uh, political divisions that are in our in mm. our uh, country and in our culture right now. And I think that that has a real uh, potential to to divide and split our our young adult community. Yeah. Um, when we begin to focus on issues that are important, but uh, maybe s uh, not central to what the Missing Jewish Movement is trying to build, mm -hmm. I think we end up um, we end up losing the bigger the bigger vision. And uh, not to say that those things aren't a part of the vision and aren't important, but it's something we need to be careful about. All right, I have a couple of quick, quick, you know, off the top of your head bullet um, questions. What is a Messianic Jewish leader that you admire? Uh, is the question who is or what is? Um, or who? Yes, yes. Oh, you, the, you, na name a Messianic leader oh, or two or three um, that you admire. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, there's a. Uh, um, golly, there's so many Messianic Jewish leaders in our movement that I admire. Um, I've had so many different teachers. Uh, I wouldn't want to leave someone out. <laughs> you know, first, I mean, I mean, uh, you know, Rabbi Rich Nickel here at Rock Israel, um, yeah. Rabbi Rich and Sue really took Rain and I in right from the beginning and have been, you know, just core mentors for us. Always there, always, always steadfast, always, uh, you know, getting our backs, if you will. <laughs> you know, yeah, so. Yeah. Um, so, you know, those are some people that I, that I really look up to, um, and, uh, from a, from a, a theological perspective and a sense of, um, you know, Messianic Jewish community and whatnot, I have learned a lot from Rabbi Mark Kinzer, mm. um, uh, quote him all the time and just really appreciate, um, his passion for a, a mature Messianic Judaism, yeah. uh, in addition to uh, his passion for, you know, um, God's manifest power within me Messianic Judaism and yeah. you know, um, healing and all kinds of things. So I just really uh, connect, connect with some of those ideas. Um, and, uh, and yeah, there's just been so, so many of our different leaders. I really look, look up to um, another teacher that really uh, made an impact on me at MJTI um, is uh, uh rabbi david rudolph okay and um i just really appreciated a number of his classes and his perspectives he made a comment that i've used so many times um if if our theology isn't lived out in our daily lives and doesn't impact our lives then our theology is meaningless hmm. and that was something that really informed me um and then he would always share when we do like exegetical work on a challenging passage he would share all of the different views mm -hmm. of this and then you know maybe what he what he thought and then let us sort of decide what we thought and i really appreciated that that was a really uh, important part of my my education that's really awesome um what is bringing you joy right now real quick oh what is bringing me joy yeah oh um my children bring me a lot of joy i have to tell you that they really do <laughs> <laughs> um, something that's bringing me joy. The kids are coming out this afternoon to uh, spread mulch and do landscaping in the synagogue parking lot. Oh, what fun! <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's something that they 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 have joy in. Um, so that's great. Uh, another thing that's bringing me joy is uh, we just started doing outdoor services at mm -hmm. the synagogue, and uh, you know my outdoor background. I love outdoor services. It's just terrific, and you know it's easier with COVID and everything, of course, yeah. but. Um, but it's been really fun and we have just a great 
core team who is so committed, who has put in so much time building this, building the platform and the oh, tent yeah. and the this and the that. I mean, there's so many different parts to it. And I find a joy in community life, just, you know, just being together, mm -hmm. living out this big vision, but in, you know, the day-to-day, -day, just relationships with people. Yeah. You know? So, uh, so yeah, those are some of the things that bring me joy. I have a lot of joy these days. Well, good. Please well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, this is a really fun conversation. Yes. Thank you, Dorothy. I really appreciate it. I hope you continue to join me in this journey. Send me any questions, comments, or ideas. Is there someone you would like me to interview or would you like to come on to the show? Email me or send me a DM. You can find Rabbi Nathan at the Ruach Yisrael website, ruachyisrael.com, and you can find Camp Orlador on Instagram and Facebook at Camp Orlador. You can follow me at This Messianic Life on Facebook and Instagram. There are links in the show notes to social media and playlists on Spotify and YouTube. Let's connect next time on This Messianic Life.